reason to celebrate this morning because our God is great. We are small, we are frail, we are weak, but he is not. Oh my gosh, that's good news, right? Good morning again, Cornerstone. Um, If y'all didn't know, I am your grandchild, like all of (laughs) y'all. That's a weird looking grandchild, ain't it? I bring you greetings from Freedom Church Windsor Mill. Uh, We really are indeed your grandchild. You guys brought Michael Crawford here from California and uh, Michael Crawford helped to uh, raise me up and sent me to plant a church in Windsor Mill. And so I do wanna tell you guys that we are grateful for you. We are a product of you. Um, And that's God's good grace on this congregation. Um, This morning, I have a very simple aim. My aim is to tell you that you have never been alone. I want to say that one more time. You have never been alone. Now, I told the first service, I like people to talk back to me, so y'all just get comfortable with that, all right? Like, be comfortable just, you know, engaging, um, specifically with God's word. I believe the worst feeling that we can feel in all of life is alone. If you've ever felt that feeling, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Feeling alone sucks. Sometimes even trying to answer how and why you feel alone can become very complicated to explain because feeling alone can sometimes show up in so many ways and in so many places that we may not be able to even understand ourselves. I want to acknowledge that somebody came in here like into this sanctuary, into this church this morning, and they feel alone. Somebody has gone to work this week and have spent a lot of time around other people and yet felt alone. Some of us are in healthy and supportive relationships and we still feel alone. Some of us have some of the best friends on earth and we have some of the best times with those friends and yet and still we feel alone. Mothers can feel alone. See, I knew somebody was going to send an amen up on that one. (laughs) It's true. Moms can feel alone. Fathers, you can feel alone too. You know, even sometimes with your spouse, you can feel alone. Some of us know what it's like to have a spouse that is going through something or dealing with something that we can't fix and how that situation can create an aloneness even in your marriage relationship. But maybe you're a kid and you feel alone. You know, that's one that we don't often talk about, that a child can actually feel alone too. I want you to know that I recognize you this morning and I have been where you are. Maybe you have adult children and you see them suffering and you see them straying and there's nothing you can do about it. And you feel alone in that. Maybe you have had a loved one die Maybe you have lost a relationship over what you would consider a stupid and silly misunderstanding and now you feel more alone than ever before. Maybe you are the one that messed up in the relationship and you are the reason that you're alone. No matter where you are and no matter who you are and all of the things that I just mentioned, I want you to know you have never been alone. God has never left you alone. 
I really believe based on biblical evidence that the devil thoroughly enjoys when people, specifically God's people, feel alone. I believe he thoroughly enjoys when a Christian feels unseen and not known. I believe that he loves to get people isolated and depressed and suicidal. But this morning, I want you to hear me saying, I will not leave you there because I don't believe God would leave you there. You see, it's God who is the one that said it is not good that man should be alone. And that statement includes every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl on the face of this planet. God said it's not good. When he made everything else, he said it was good. But when he looks down and he sees you and I by ourselves, he says it is not good. And that truth should fill you with a lot of hope this morning that God doesn't want you alone. So let me say it again. You have never been alone. We're going to be looking at Psalm 139 this morning. And from our text, I want to give you three proofs that with God, you have never been alone. You have never been alone, number one, because God knows who you are. Look at verse one of our text. In verse one, David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. I don't know that we could read more encouraging words this morning than these. But I want you to really hear what David is saying. He proclaims that God isn't just aware of him. He says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. I think all of us at one point in time or another have wanted to be noticed by somebody. All of us at one point in time or another have wanted to draw the attention of somebody. Some of us are still living in that because we want to draw the attention of our boss because we want to get that raise. Y'all ain't going to talk to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this desire to be seen is especially true in our teen years. Yeah, it is. We want somebody to notice us. We want somebody to be aware of our presence. And many of us also know what it's like to not have that desire met. Many of us know what it's like to have a person not even know that we're alive. And those of us who have suffered through that know that awareness is kind of a big deal. Because awareness means that you and I are seen. But awareness is not all we desire. I mean, what good is it to be seen and not known? Having somebody be aware of you is no fix for feeling alone. Awareness must make way for being known. And David tells us with God, you get both. You get an acute awareness of who you are and you get the distinctness of being known intimately. David says, God has made himself aware of all that I am and God has done this on a personal level. David is trying to tell us that God knows who he is and I'm simply trying to tell you the same thing. God knows who you are. David goes on in verse 2 to tell us how well God knows him. He says, you, talking about God, know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. 
As you look at these words, I want you to think about how intimate this knowledge is that David is describing. David is describing here the kind of knowledge that people who spend a lot of time with us get to know. This is the kind of information that people who live with us or people we have lived with in the past know about us. This kind of information is that David sees that God is the one who knows when he sits down and God knows when he gets back up again. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Who in the world cares when we sit down and when we stand up? When's the last time somebody was like, I saw you stand up and I saw you sit back down? Nobody cares. (laughs) But David says God does. God cares about when we sit down and when we stand back up. Most of the time, we don't even pay attention to this kind of stuff unless we're annoyed with somebody. Now, you know when you get annoyed with somebody, everything they do gets heightened. You start to pay attention to how they stand up. You start to pay attention to how they sit down. You start to think about things and experience things like, I don't like the way they chew. That's me with my kids. You start to even get annoyed by things like how they breathe. When's the last time you thought about even considering something like this about a person? David says God doesn't need to be annoyed with him, and God doesn't need to be looking for something to condemn him for to notice this kind of thing. God simply knows him. And what I love about this is that David doesn't stop here. David doesn't stop at the fact that God sees his actions. At the end of verse 2, David proclaims that God also knows David's thoughts. Now, if we get honest this morning, some of us don't like this reality about God. That God isn't just aware of what we do. He also knows what we think. Because what that means is God be knowing stuff. It means that God, even when you're not sinning through your actions, knows the sin that you're thinking about. And for a lot of us, that gets on our nerves. But what I want you to see is that this intimate knowledge that God has about us doesn't deter us, doesn't deter him, I'm sorry, from wanting to know who we are. Cornerstone, this is the beauty of the gospel, and I want you to find it freshly beautiful this morning. That God knows all there is to know about you, your behaviors and your thoughts, the things that you never say to anybody else, and yet and still he wants to know you. Is that not amazing? Because it should be. God knows who you are, and he wants to know you. Whether you will admit it or not, one of the biggest reasons why we don't want people to get too close to us is that once people get too close to us, we can't control what they see. You see, I think that this is why social media is as big as it is. I think it's why it has grabbed our hearts in the way that it has. On a social media platform, you and I get to control the optics. You see, you only show what you want. You only show it how you want to show it. And typically speaking, we show it in the best condition that we have it in. We have a desire to be seen in a certain light, but God is different, and he just breaks through all of the barriers that we have set up. 
But what's the good news and what David makes a connection about in verse 1 is that even though God sees it, because he says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me, which means that God upon searching us knows all that there is to know. It doesn't get in the way of him wanting to know us. I know I already said that, but I really want you to get this. What God knows about you doesn't stop him from wanting to know you. He says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. And these words that David proclaimed should actually be blowing our minds. It should blow our minds because we know that people ain't like God. I know that wasn't the proper way to say it, but that's all I got. People, people ain't like God. You see, when people see things about us that they find unpleasant, they tend to abandon us. When people experience things from us that they don't like, they tend to walk away. They stop answering your phone calls. They stop responding to text messages. They stop liking your posts. And y'all know that make us mad. But what David is saying is that people, God is not like people. In verse 3, he says, you search out my path and my lying down and are, and, and are acquainted with all my ways. What he's saying is that God sees us every single day. He sees us at the beginning of our day and he sees us at the end of our day. He sees where we travel to. He sees us when we come back home. He sees us when we wake up in the morning and he sees us when we go to sleep. Is that not good news this morning? In verse 4, he says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Look, then look at what David says next in verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. What David's really saying is, God, you don't make no sense to me. He says of God, I don't have a way to qualify you or quantify you. And then he says, I can't attain this information. How is it that the Holy One who is God, who has never sinned, how is it that the Holy One who is God, who dwells in unapproachable light, how is it that God, the Holy One who spoke and things came into creation, wants to know me? How's that possible? David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. He says, I don't even have a category to put God in. He says, there's not a box that I can fit God inside of. There's not a label that I can put on the box that can rightly describe who this God is. I'm just trying to tell you, you have never been alone because this is the God that's with you. And he knows who you are. But why else should we believe that we've never been alone? You should know that you've never been alone because God is wherever you are. David asks a set of questions next that don't need to be answered. We call these rhetorical questions. <laughs> Look at verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The point is there isn't a place on the planet or off the planet where I can go and where you can go where God is absent. Now, for those of us who are prone to hiding from God, this part about who God is gets on our nerves. We don't like this information about him. To know that there isn't a place where I can go where God can't see me. But for those of us who want to be seen and who want to be, who wants to be known, this should actually be encouraging to us this morning. To consider that God is wherever I am is really to consider a gift of God's grace. When I get to heaven, guess who's going to be there? God. When I die, as David said, and if I make my bed in Sheol, guess who's there too? God. If I take flight in the sky with the birds, even there God is with me. If I take a submarine to the bottom of the ocean, even there he is with me too. There isn't a place where I can go where God is not present. This is good news. Have you ever seen pictures or video footage of what it looks like at the bottom of the ocean? It's dark down there, right? Very, very, very dark. Like, who wants to go down there, right? Like, it makes no sense to me that people want to take that trip. <laughs> I want you to picture this, and I want you to keep this in your mind because of what David says next. Look at what he says in verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Cornerstone. The point that David is making is that even on your darkest day, you have not been abandoned by God. Do you hear that? Even on your darkest day, you have not been abandoned. You are not alone. God is there. Now, here's the thing. You might not be able to see him. But the good news is he can see you. That even when my eyes can't see him, even when my heart can't perceive that he's near, even when my thoughts tell me he's gone, he still sees me, he still, he's still with me, he's still thinking about me, he's still acting on my behalf. This is good news. On our dark days, God is not gone. Did you know that it's our dark days that help to give us sight? On our dark days, when we can't see anything else, I really do believe that there, that there is intention on God's part. I believe on our dark days, God makes way for us to see him. You see, a lot of the time as we go through life, our vision gets clouded by all the other things that there are to look at, like your kids, like the job, like the money that's draining from your account because gas prices just keep going up and up and up. There are a lot of things to be distracted by. There are other things to look at, so we stop looking at him. But on our dark days, he becomes more visible because everything else and anything else that would normally get in our way, we can't see it. 
And so now it makes way for us to see him. And this is exactly where he wants us to be. The reality is there is nothing else and there's nobody else that offers the kind of light that God does. You know, sin is all about exchanging God for a counterfeit. We always believe that the relationship can give us more light. We always believe that the money will give us more light. We always believe that success will give us more light, but there is no one else and nothing else in all of creation that can give us the reprieve from feeling alone. We actually need God. We need him. And darkness makes way for us to see him. I want you to hear me. When you can't see because you're being blinded by grief, when you can't see because you are being blinded by pain, when you can't see because you are blinded by loneliness or tiredness or hurt, it doesn't blind him. It doesn't stop him from getting to you. Somebody should be saying amen to that. We have no better proof that this is true than sin. Even our sin couldn't stop God from getting to us. It couldn't stop him. That's why we call the gospel the good news. Because the bad news was our sin stopped us from getting to him. Y'all hearing this? Nothing can stop you can stop God from getting to you. Sin tried. The devil tried. This world will consistently put hurdles and blockages in your way to keep you from getting to God, but it doesn't stop King Jesus from getting to you. This is why we celebrated Easter a couple weeks ago. It's because in Jesus, it all fails. Every single barrier that would stop you from getting into relationship with the Father has failed in Jesus. David says, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. This means it doesn't matter how dark it gets. No darkness can ever subdue him. Darkness might take you down, but it can't stop him. You know, there are places where we can go on the planet to get away from other people. Y'all know that, right? Yeah. In our day and age, it's actually not hard. If I turn off my phone, people can't get to me. Now, y'all, listen, it used to be another way. You used to have to lock your front door for people to not get to you. But people don't come to our house no more. We just talk to everybody on the phone. We do Zooms and all this stuff, right? But I want you to think about, this, think about this for a second. There's nothing that you can do to hinder God from getting to you. We find no better proof of this than when the disciples were afraid and locked up in a house somewhere. Where do you find Jesus? Somebody tell me what he did. What did he do? He just came in. That's not, listen, it's still as crazy as it was the first time I said it in the first service. It's crazy. The text actually tells us that the doors were locked and they were afraid. 
And Jesus just comes in and he comes in to calm their fears. Are y'all hearing this? I'm telling you, you've never been alone. And there's no barrier that can get you alone from God. He's done everything within his capacity, which is infinite, to get to you. He's done everything within his capacity, which is infinite, to stop you from walking away from him. This is really like really, really, really good news. This is why we come and celebrate it every week. It's because God has actually done something for us and he wants us question what's stopping you from coming to him. If you have not trusted in Jesus, that question is for you. What is stopping you from coming to Jesus? Your sin can't stop him from pursuing you. Your shame can't stop him from pursuing you. Your guilt can't stop him from pursuing you. You should come to Jesus. He can meet you where you are because that's what the text where you see the disciples hiding proves. He can meet you exactly where you are. Why not repent and come to Jesus? Why not lay your cares at his feet? Why not lay down the striving and trying to fix yourself and be better? Why not come to him? Because he does want you. But lest we believers think that this isn't for us too, why don't we come to Jesus? Because there are times where we run to everything else too. Jesus wants us. I want that to sit with you for a second. This is completely off my manuscript, by the way. So sorry. I'm trying to fix this for y'all. Jesus wants you. David says, even the darkness is not dark to you. My darkness. My darkness. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. God knows who you are. God is wherever you are, and he wants you. Here's my last proof that with God, you have never been alone. With God, you have never been alone because God knew you first. Hear that, God knew you first. David says in verse 13, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. What he's communicating is that before David had a personal awareness of himself, God knew him. Before anybody could lay their eyes on, on him outside of the womb, God had already seen him. Even before his mother knew that there was life in her womb, God was already at work inside of her, putting him together. There's nobody else that can make that statement, not nobody. And this is beautiful to me because it tells us that God has been personally involved with us since before we took our first breath. God cared about us and knew us before we ever had anything to offer to this world. What I love about this is what David says next. 
David says, based on the fact that you, God, are the one that formed me, verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Now we hear this verse a lot in Christian circles. And y'all know how this goes. You hear something enough, it loses all value to it. Just like driving the same way every day, you stop paying attention to the details. That's true. That's how you miss your turn sometimes. (laughs) But I want you to feel the full weight of this word. He says, I praise you. For I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. He's saying God is the one that formed us, that knows that you have, has been shaped by God. And I'm talking to myself because I grew up hating this quote unquote big nose. But the nose that I have has been given to me and has been shaped by the creator. That complexion that you have from the lightest person in this room to the darkest person in this room, God is the one that painted that on you. Oh gosh, that hair that you have, if it is curly or coily, God is the one that twisted it for you. If your hair is straight, God is the one that smoothed it out. Maybe you look at yourself as short, but God is the one that made the compact goodness that you are. You might look at yourself and feel too tall, but he is the one that stretched you out. Those curves that you have, he crafted. That voice that you have, he's the sound engineer of that. Maybe you don't see how good this is, but David says, I do. And I believe God wants you to see it. He says that we have been handcrafted. And then he says, fearfully. This means with respect and awe. Wonderfully. This means that you have been made unique from any other being, even if you're a twin on earth. And if you're not seeing it yet, David is speaking to our value. He says that God has deemed us valuable. Other people don't get to decide what our value is. That's not anybody on earth's job. That job is above our pay grade. We don't have the qualifications for that job. It's why... We don't treat people like products and goods where we can just dispose of them whenever we want to. People are made different than any other thing in all of creation. And God has attached great value to it. But here's what I love. I love that David is not having this conversation in the public square. David is talking personally. David says all of this from a personal perspective. He says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Therefore, I praise you. Here's something that we never talk about. Because y'all know it's like a hot thing to be like, these people don't like me and these people don't like me. And I don't know. David is talking personally. And I want to give you an implication here. If you have a problem with you when you look in the mirror, you really have an issue with God. We love to talk about other people, but let's talk about ourselves for a second. 
if there's something that I don't appreciate about how God made me, I'm not talking about the distortions because we know sin distorts the image of God on us. But if there's something that I don't like about where, what God actually did create, who I have an issue with is God himself. But David looks at this process. He looks at the process that God took to make him and with what care God did it. And he says, I have a reason to praise God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Can you shout amen to that? That you are fearful, fearfully and wonderfully made. Is that enough to cause you to sing this morning? Is that enough to put a song in your heart for the rest of the week? You see, the gospel is worthy of the utmost praise, but the gospel, and I don't want you to be confused about this, is not the only reason to praise God. David says, when I look at this body as a product of God's craftsmanship, I have a reason to praise my God. David says, as I consider this body that you've made, Lord, it leads me to say, the end of verse 14, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Are you able to see this morning that your very existence is a reason to praise God? Because it is. Are you able to see that your very existence is proof that you've never been alone? Look at verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. As I close, I, I, want you to, I want you to consider that the sum total of all of your days are praiseworthy. The ones in the womb and the ones outside of it. All of them are praiseworthy. The dark days and the bright days are praiseworthy. The easy days and the hard days are praiseworthy. They are praiseworthy because God has never left you alone in them, no matter what the day may have brung. There hasn't been a day where God was not with you. Look at what he says. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The point is this. God has been on every page of your life. My brother and my sister, I want you to hear that. God has been on every page of your life. We tend to look at the bad days as days where God has abandoned us, but it's not true. Not according to David. And this is Holy Scripture. God has been on every single solitary page of your life. You have never, ever, 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 ever been alone, not for one day, not for one second. God has been with us. As we read these last two verses, I want you to think about 
if you can say these words with David. In verse 17, he says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Think about that. That no matter what happens, <laughs> you wake up and you're still with God. How vast are the sum of God's thoughts. People don't always think about us, but God does. People forget about us, but God doesn't. How vast, he says, is the sum of your thoughts. How precious to me are your thoughts. Do you know that God thinks about you? We have no better picture of it than the gospel. That God will look down the corridor of time and see that we needed a savior. How crazy and how wonderful God's thoughts are toward us. God had every right to abandon us, but he did not. That's the good news. The good news is that even though we have abandoned him, he's never, not once done that to us. Even in the garden, my, my church makes fun of me because I'm always bringing up Genesis 3. When they sin, where do you see God? Coming toward them. That's not the general picture we have of God in our minds, is it? We tend to think of God when we sin, walking away from us, but that's not what we see. And from Genesis 3 all the way through the whole entire scripture, we see God moving toward us even though we are wicked, even though we are evil, even though we shake our fist at him and tell him he doesn't know what he's doing. We see him moving toward us. I'm just trying to prove you've never been alone because God wants you. He knows who you are. He's with you wherever you are. He knew you first. Let this encourage you this week. No matter what else happens, no matter how alone you feel in any other circumstance, you're never alone with God. Can I pray for you? Father, we are... We are grateful that we have this word, that we have these words in your scripture. Father, I am continually grateful that these are not just words, that these are true. That you care with us, that you care for us and you love us in ways that are so far and so high above our understanding. This morning, God, with David, we say these thoughts are too high, we can't attain them. They're too wonderful for us. But God, I pray even this morning that you'd allow us to have some understanding and some awareness even in these next few moments of how good you are to us. Help us to be grateful and help us to see God in the dark that we are never alone. Father, we thank you for your word. It is truth. Help us to believe it and help us to live from it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.